Welcome to episode 17 of the Pokemon Gold podcast. Co-editor of Pogma Gold, and you're listening to the 17th edition of the podcast Midfield Partnership of Ireland's only football magazine. We have a small number of issue six still available to order online from pogmagold.com. You can also pick up a new football design with charity alive and kicking, and other items including the Pogma Gold Soccer Club sweatshirt. Meanwhile, a brand new issue seven is getting very close to going to print, so stay tuned. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Ben Kelly, a journalist with a massively successful, award-winning independent Liverpool FC fan channel, The Red Men TV. But first, I'm joined once again by my co-host Taylor Geel, a communications manager based in London, a Portsmouth fan, and a regular contributor to the Pod and Magazine. Welcome back, Taylor. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. Taylor, the Premier League has returned. As an Arsenal fan, I'm not sure I want to talk about it, but for you, who or what are you most looking forward to watching in the season ahead? Fans is the obvious one. It was lovely to see a beautiful uh, array of football over the weekend, uh, enhanced completely by the fans. Uh, but a proper title race as well. We've got loads of good teams, loads of money sloshing around now in the Premier League. So uh, it's good to see some amazing squads. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. I'm glad you mentioned the Portsmouth connection as well, because I just want to get in. This might be my only chance, but we are top of League One. We're an Irish goalkeeper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, someone else who might have something to say about the title race is our guest today. I've really been looking forward to talking to because one positive advent of social media has been the explosion of supporter driven content and platforms. And the Redmen TV is so much more than just a Liverpool fan channel. So welcome to the Pope Gold podcast, Ben Kelly. Hello, thanks for having me. Ben, I'll jump in with the same question. What are you looking forward to with the season ahead? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it, the, an- the answer is fans, isn't it? You know, being able to go back to the ground. Uh, I mean, you know, I go to quite a lot of Liverpool home games. I'm lucky enough to do that. Um, but then also, I'm actually from Wigan, so I go to Wigan games as well. Obviously, they're also in League One. So I went to the Rotherham game last weekend and, and on a weekend that Liverpool maybe playing away or you know the fixtures kind of line up it allows me to go to both so um so yeah but from a Liverpool perspective the other thing as well is having players fit um because <laughs> obviously as most listeners will know uh, we struggled a little bit with that last season so just seeing Virgil van Dijk back in a Liverpool shirt back playing in the Premier League you know obviously rivalry is one thing but most football fans can appreciate what a good player somebody like that is um, you know, and, and and Liverpool and I think the league was certainly lacking something last season without him involved. Um, and he was just one of a few. Obviously, we, we were missing Joe Gomez as well. We were missing our captain, Jordan Henderson, for large parts of the season. Um, so to have Liverpool fit and firing, you know, other than Gini Wijnaldum, it's it's exactly the same team than the, 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 the team that won the league by with uh, Canter, the same team that won the Champions League. 
Um, so there's no reason for me why Liverpool should be taking out the title race at all. Um, you know, we've got Thiago now, who's another world-class central midfielder, uh, you know, who, who, again, he was injured for parts of last season, so he's come in. Um, so it's, it's a, it is an exciting time to be a Liverpool fan, and especially when you obviously getting back to the games. I'm going on Saturday and I can't wait. Yeah, I bet. Uh, ben, with all our guests on the podcast, we like to ask them how they first got interested in the sport and then how you got into Liverpool. Um, me dad is the answer. Um, you know, I like... I always, I always joke with my dad that if football didn't exist, we wouldn't have much to talk about. Um, and because, because like that's just that pretty much what we do all the time. You know, I, I, he works from home, and I do a mixture of working from home and not. And when there's times where we can talk, most of the time we talk about football. He was a big Liverpool fan growing up. He's a twin, and his brother's an Everton fan. Uh, yes. Um So like, it's it's funny how like there's obviously those family divides. Um, so the first real memories I have of Liverpool are the Rafa Benitez area. I remember watching the Champions League final in Istanbul just like that really is the first memory that I've got. I was only six years old. Um, and from there, you know, you've just got so many good players that you can kind of pinpoint. So obviously you've got Steven Gerrard, but then not long after Istanbul, we signed Fernando Torres. And when he moved on, it was Luis Suarez. And now it's players like Salah and Virgil and Henderson. You know, this is the best Liverpool team for sure that I've seen since since following Liverpool, you know, since starting all those years ago. So, you know, it's now is the best, better time than ever. But yeah, growing up, it was definitely down to my dad because, you know, I, a lot of people say, you know, you support your local side. And I do try to do that, as I say, I try and go to Wigan as often as I can. But I think the real relationship that you build, um, you know, when the club that you build a bond with is more often than not your dad's team, because that's how you form a relationship with your dad over the years. So that's where I ended up um, as a Liverpool fan. Ben, did you play football when you were younger or do you still play football now? No, I, I don't play football anymore, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, but I, yeah, when I was when I was a kid, up until I was sixteen, I play. I, I just played football. So I wasn't that good. I played left midfield. I, I, I was I was quite quick, but I lost it quite quickly as I got a little bit older. Um, I played for Shevington, which was a local side in Wigan. Um, it was it was a good league. We were probably we were probably like midway because we'd batter some teams one week and then get battered. Another week, you know what I mean? Like we used to play a team called Lee Genesis, who who, who play at where Man United's reserves play, reserves play Lee 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 um, League Sports Village, it's called. And when we were like twelve, we were absolutely we get battered by them every time. So they were just they, they they them as a club, they were a little bit more advanced than us. They had a lot more money and they had some really good players. So it was yeah, it was it was it was quite a big league. It was like sixteen teams in it, and we we used to just finish mid table every year. Um, but yeah, I, I did enjoy it, and I still keep in touch with some of the lads I used to play with. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, not not so much anymore. Ben, I have to ask you, Ben Kelly, is there an Irish connection there? I think so. I don't know. Um, my mum's from Manchester, my dad's from Wigan, um, <laughs> so I, there must be there must be somewhere further back. Although I was, I, I I once dated a girl who was Irish and also called Kelly. And my mum, the first thing that my mum said when when she's when I told her was, you know, you'll be related somewhere further back, don't you? I was like, oh, I didn't really think about that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. I've never really done the research, never traced it back. Just to chase on that point, because you you being a younger man and coming to Liverpool kind of 2005, traditionally Liverpool is very heavily supported by Irish people. And we've spoken a lot on this podcast how 
often you you would pick a team or have an affinity for a team because they had Irish players. And that's less and less the case in your era, era of following Liverpool. But what's your opinion about this support from abroad? Or I, I think it's Irish and Norwegian of the highest uh, amount of people actually going to Premier League games. So I'm just curious to get your opinion of to support Liverpool enjoys from abroad and especially on a match day. Um, I think Liverpool is perhaps less of a day tripper, more of an authentic football city than somewhere like Arsenal games, for example. Uh, yeah, I, look, I think I think international support's great and not just from those two places that you mentioned, but, you know, worldwide. We, we went to the pre-season tour in America in 2019 and we watched Liverpool play uh, in Boston and New York just the amount of American fans who get just as into it as us, you know, just because they're living on a different time zone, living on a different continent, doesn't mean that they don't. Um, you know, those guys, for, you know, for example, for, for a half 12 kickoff, for the Burnley game half 12 on Saturday, as a half seven start in New York, yeah. you know, so, so that, and they'll get up and do that. They'll flood into Carragher's Bar, which is just off Times Square, and they'll, and they'll drink at that time in the morning, and that's, that's <laughs> how they live their lives. Um, so, so, you know, that, that's commitment. We've got friends out in Australia who do the same, they're 10 hours ahead. So they, that's how they've got to think about it in the middle of the night for them. Um, so I think the international support's great. And, and any, any foreign fans that I've come across at Anfield who, you know, I don't know, maybe have come to the Redmen filming after, after a game or have spotted me or, or Paul or Chris or, you know, any one of us, they've always been so lovely and they've always been such a big fan of the channel. And that, I think that's why I really like doing what we do because we do make an effort to connect with those fans worldwide and, and kind of give the fans who can't go to the ground that little taste of, of what of what it's like. You know, we, we often put out, obviously, when we could be in the ground, but we would often put out goal reactions from in the ground. Yeah. We'll do a vlog. We'll do fan reactions outside the ground. You know, we'll do Instagram stories. We'll do everything that we can. And we, you know, we got that feedback when we went to places like America. We got people saying, you know, I watch your channel because that is an insight into what it's like sitting in the cop you know, or, or, or whatever. I want to jump into that in a little bit. But first, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Liverpool finally capturing that league title. But sadly, when you weren't allowed to go to the ground, what that felt like as a as a supporter. Um, it, it, was, it was very strange, um, like bittersweet in a way. I think it was a mix of two things. I think, first of all, obviously what you mentioned with not being able to go to the ground and, and not, not being able to sort of see the trophy lift. I think the club did the best that they could with that, with putting the trophy lift in the cop and, and doing all that. But I think the second thing was that it was basically done before the lockdown. You know what I mean? Like, it, we'd, we'd, I think we were two points away from winning it or something like that. So it, it wasn't like there was it, was, it was a foregone conclusion anyway. So you go into that and obviously we were all hoping that we might have been able to wrap it up before, um, as, as coronavirus seemed to get, become a bigger and bigger story, and it was more apparent that the football was going to get cancelled, we were all trying to figure out how we could wrap it up before football got called off. And then it all seemed to happen quicker than anybody thought anyway. Um, but uh, like when the football came back and we eventually did win the league, like you, you, you were yearning for a little bit of excitement, you know, it, and it was it was good to see us win the league. It was good to see us win the trophy. But I think just a combination of, you know, it it, it was never we were never going to not win it. There was no there was no um, that wasn't it wasn't it wasn't in the balance. You know what I mean? Like it, it, we knew we were going to do it, and we were made to wait that little bit longer, which was just frustrating. 
and then nobody could see the trophy lift. So, like, it it was it was great to actually win the league. But for me personally, and I, you know, I'm not speaking for any other Liverpool fans, but it was just a shame that it all transpired the way that it did. Um, and then, you know, I was a little bit jealous last season of how, obviously, we go through the whole season with no fans in and then Manchester City on the last day can lift their trophy in front of 10,000 fans. It just all felt a little bit unfair, but that's life. And, you know, Liverpool will win another Premier League, I think, over the next few years. I don't think that'll be a problem. I think Klopp will win another one before he goes. Um, we've just got to hope that there isn't another pandemic because who could have predicted the last one? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think watching that trophy lift, if it was quite sad, no matter who, whatever club it had been, it was quite sad to watch and reflective of the world we were in at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I felt a bit like that. It yeah. was it was a sad thing to see. I mean, as a, as a neutral, like I've got a soft spot for Liverpool over the last few years since Klopp has come in, just because they're so good to watch. And so you kind of gravitate towards those teams like I used to gravitate towards Arsenal. And to see the entertaining football Liverpool have played in the last few years and then have them lift a trophy without their fans was was quite a sad thing to see. Ben, do you think it will mean more if, you know, you say there's a title race this year and you think Klopp will win another one before he leaves? Do you think it will mean more lifting in front of the fans or like compared compared to oh, kind yeah. of like the, the 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 first premier league um yeah yeah because in, in my head like obviously it, it it feels amazing it feels good to have to have got the premier league under the belt and it's nice to know that you know we've got one and people can't take the piss out of us anymore for for not having one but for me like I still look. I was in Madrid for the Champions League win, and I went to that game, and I flew home, and I did. I did the trophy parade the next day, and I still look at back at that just naturally a lot more fondly, because it's it was how it should be than mm. the Premier League one, and I think Jurgen Klopp's team talk for the season is so easy this year. It's just how amazing did that Premier League feel winning that Premier League. Well, you can do that again, and I promise you it will be ten hundred times better if there's fans in the ground and we can do a trophy. That trophy parade should have been should have been the Monday, the eleventh of May. We finished should have, season should have finished on the tenth on the Sunday, and we should have added, we should have lifted it that day. We were we were we were at home. Oh no, we were away at Newcastle. We'd have lifted it against Chelsea, but we should have we should have lifted the league and we should have we should have had the trophy parade on the eleventh. And I'm telling you now, Liverpool would have been shut off to the world, and it would have been even bigger than that Champions League one. And we just never got to do it. And there was still, you know, obviously we, we wondered whether we'd be able to do it in the summer because nobody knew how long COVID was going to last. We wondered whether we were going to be able to do it just later in the summer. And obviously that was, in looking back now, it was crazy to even think that that might have been possible. Um, and yeah, I just think that the motivation that these players will have with the experience that they've got of what they've already won, they all of them love the club, you can just tell. Um, and I think I think they will be motivated to have something like that Champions League parade again. Um, but even they'll know that it'll be even bigger if it's a Premier League one. That is a massive motivation, isn't it? And I worked previously in Germany with the Bundesliga when Klopp was at Dortmund and he left while I was there. So I got to see him kind of up close how he interacted with Dortmund. But I know he's been at Liverpool quite a while now and achieved a lot. But he really did just buy into the culture from the first minute, didn't he? Like, you can't help but like Klopp. And I'm, I'm guessing that's the case for every follower of Liverpool. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know anybody, any, any, you know, any serious match-going fan or whatever who who has a bad word to say about him. Um, you know, from day, yeah, from day one, it just, it just felt. It sounds cliche, but it, it does feel like he was made for Liverpool. Like I, I couldn't picture him at Man United, and he said himself that for whatever reason, yeah, I think he was offered the Man United job. Maybe, maybe, maybe when Van Hal was there, or or after Van Hal had left, and he said himself that he he didn't he didn't fancy it. He, he didn't feel like it was right. And I and I and I can say I can't quite put my finger on why, but like in my head, obviously Man United are like the baddies of football, and Klopp's a good guy, and it, it wouldn't have. <laughs> It wouldn't have worked, and and and, for, so, and that's why the Jose Mourinho one to me made a lot more sense when they got him because Jose Mourinho is like <laughs> the bad guy of management, and that that fitted for me. So like, but like yeah, so so Klopp just just made for Liverpool, and the, even the whole like synergy with the, the way that Dortmund and Liverpool both yeah. sing "You'll Never Walk Alone," yeah. like all all of those parallels, um, you know, it's, it it. It, it makes sense, and and uh, you know I I, won't, I genuinely wouldn't have anybody else. You know, obviously the question is often asked of me. You know, we're just swapping for Guardiola, like really. I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I, I love him to bits. Yeah, even just to see the end of a game, shaking hands with every opposition player, like even that's a breath of fresh air. I have to quickly ask you, what's your opinion on Rafa going to Everton? <laughs> um, I don't mind. I mean. I like Rafa. Um, he obviously loves the city, um, yes. but I, I, you know, we, we we share our office with Evertonians, and um, so we've well, we've had a few conversations about this, as you can imagine. Um, and and I think what we've what we've boiled it down to as Liverpool fans is, and he might come to prove us wrong, is that I don't feel like Rafa is a threat. Mm. I don't, you know, I feel like he's past his best as a manager, and therefore. You know, if 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 Klopp, if you know if Klopp up and went to Everton tomorrow and he was as good as he has has been, then you know obviously that's when you'd feel bitter because you'd think that he could be successful with Everton and he could take them somewhere. I don't see Rafa Benitez being in the job in 12, 18 months' time at Everton. That's just as simple as I don't think I don't think it'll ever take to him. Um, I they've got a bigger problem with it than we have. Um, so I, you know I'd be surprised if he's there longer than a season or two. Um, but but again, he might prove me wrong, and and, and if he be, does begin to do well, I think you'll start to see more bitterness within the Liverpool fan base about yeah. the appointment in the first place. Because if he starts to do well with them, he starts to win them things, then you know that's a different story. But right now, I don't think anybody's really taking it seriously, and that you know, I'm aware that sounds quite patronising, but that's just how it is. I think that would be one that's very interesting to watch and. For his sake, he'll have to start winning the fans over very quickly. So, brings us on to the other reason we asked you on, the Red Men TV. Hello everyone, welcome to Red Men TV. Because it's hard to study my in the volley, yes! For you, it's incredible. And Salah has scored for Liverpool. It's a joy to do it for you. I can tell you. What a performance from Liverpool! Joey in the mix zone after Liverpool beat Man City two one. The best word I can say when to describe this is <laughs> An unbelievable ending in Anfield. Bosh, love that. <laughs> 
said in the intro, it's 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 much more than a fan channel. Can you give us a bit of background for people who probably who don't know what it is, what it involves? Yeah, so we we are one of the biggest football fan channels on YouTube and in the kind of the creator space. Obviously, you know, Arsenal fan TV are probably the biggest ones, and then you've got people like Mark Goldbridge who runs the United Stand and does his own stuff as well. Um, but you know, we're we're definitely up there. We've got just shy of five hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, um, and then we also have our own website, which is behind the paywall, where you can pay for extra content and. We've got a good amount of people that, that like to do that and we've got a good community on there as well you know when when you sign up to the website you get um uh, you get put into a discord server with us and you can chat to us and we chat fussy all the time and you know they they get extra they can suggest things about shows and stuff like that and we've got a really good core of followers who um you know are, are happy to do that and what we're trying to do at the moment is build a little bit of a netflix for liverpool fans really you know obviously people like to go and spend the money every month on you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. Um, you know, we've got so many good documentaries. We've got so many good interviews on that site that, you know, if you come and pay your money with us, um, you know, and you die our Liverpool fan and that's all you want to watch, then we're absolutely perfect because just the, the catalogue of stuff that we've got now is so immense, so vast. Um, and, you know, not only do you get that, but you get the opportunity to sort of chat to us as well with, with loads of other massive Liverpool fans. So that's who we are and what we do. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, on YouTube, you've got all the match day content that we do as well, um, which has been really fun to produce. And, and you know, a good a good plan B compared to what we, you know, what could have been last season when, when you can't go into the ground. Could you talk a bit, well, firstly, I guess, when it started when the platform started and, and how it came to be and uh, maybe a bit about the sort of evolution to where it is now with its own website and you know various social channels yeah so so I, I believe I mean I obviously I wasn't there right at the beginning um but I believe Paul and Chris Paul Paul mates and Chris Page they started it about 11 years ago um just shy of um Rafa Benitez getting sacked and Roy Hodgson coming in and or when FSG took over Liverpool, which was 2010, October 2010. Um, so I think it was that summer. Um, but um, from but that was obviously very early days for YouTube as a set, as a as a space as a content creation space as it is now. Like YouTube back then, I think was more funny cat videos and random stuff. And obviously, n- nobody had quite unlocked the full potential of it yet particularly in the sports space so we you know i think we absolutely pride ourselves on being one of the first ones about and the problem was that really from when they started it liverpool weren't very successful for quite a long time um and it's only really in the last five years under klopp um that obviously i think we're different to some of the fan channels where we actually do well when the team are playing well rather than the other way around. And obviously, I don't want to name any names, but there's some fan <laughs> channels that do better when their yeah. team aren't playing well. Um, so so when the last five years or so, when after Klopp's arrived, and obviously we won a Champions League, we won a Premier League, you know, it, we, that's really when we've really seen the growth and the people who want to get involved. Um, but the website kind of came about, I, couldn't, I, I don't want to say for sure, I, feel, I, I reckon about seven, eight years ago, um, and Paul and Chris, I'm sure they won't mind me saying, made the decision to 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 leave their day jobs um, and do this full time and put all of their energy into it, um, which was such a courageous thing to do, if you ask me, because I think one of the underrated things about 
a lot, probably a lot of YouTube channels, but particularly about stuff that we do and maybe other fan channels is just how much hard work goes into it. Like it, it's, it is relentless. Um, especially for us, we're only a small team. Um, you know, there's, there's other big football fan channels out there. If you think of like True Geordie and the kickoff and all that, you know, they have, they have like quite a bit of manpower behind them. There's just six of us and I'm part-time. So there's five full-time and there's me um, and I help in, help out where I can. And it's just relentless. It's seven days a week because yeah. any news that breaks, we need to be on it. Um, you know, any uh, obviously there's a game. Often there's two games a week, um, and it is constant. And it's also trying to evolve best we can as well um, by trying to think of new things, new content ideas. So it is it is busy, but at least you're busy doing something that you love and talking yeah. about something that you love. Um, and I think that's what motivates us all to kind of keep going and, and produce some of the content that we produce, particularly over the last two years. It's a dream job for many people, I bet. I, I wanted to ask you about, it's quite um, prominent on your Twitter feed, for example, the independent Liverpool fan channel. I think that word is important because said as I've worked in the past monitoring club channels and even just as a casual observer of club channels, by your very nature, you're biased and sanitized. I mean, those channels are, and they're not critical when things are not going well. With an exception that Dortmund actually stood out in my time in Germany. That if the game, if they were doing badly in a game, they would, they would say so, not in a critical sense, but they'd be kind of be like, "Oh, what's on the other channel?" This kind of stuff. And I think the independence allows you to really give the fans a voice. Whereas there's something a little bit forced about official club channels where you've been battered 5-0 and you try to turn, well, that corner in the 22nd minute was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about why there was such a heavy emphasis put on the independent thing. You know, because that, that's all that has always been a thing. It's not really something I've given much thought to. But we do, and, and a compliment that we often get is just, you know, exactly that you know when we're not going to be a we're not going to be reactionary to losing games you know we obviously we went through that really tough spell um at the beginning of the year from january to sort of back end of march where i think we lost six home games in a run um you know and and it, we had all those injuries and we were really struggling but i think what we were trying to do was trying to stay in the middle trying to see the bigger picture and you know recognize that you know it was nothing really to do with the manager it was nothing really to do with um, the quality of the players that we had available. It was just the fact that we had we were missing some of our best players, um, and obviously we weren't there to help them, which is such a big part of Liverpool's identity. The fans in the ground, and and you know that I'm convinced. I know I can guarantee that we wouldn't have lost six home games on the run if fans were in the grounds last season. It was just just that just wouldn't have happened. Um, but on the flip side, we're more than happy to be critical of the team. I'll sit there on a show after the game and say. You know, not that I'm qualified to, by the way. I'm just a fan, but I'll sit there and then say, wasn't sure about that sub on 65. You know, I, I don't. I thought Henderson was having a good game, and I just like being. I just like that's what I quite like about it. We all we're all honest, and we're all we all um, are happy to say whatever we want to say, really, um, on on the game. And we're not we're not going to sway it one way or the other. We're not going to tell you what to think. We're just going to tell you what we think, and I think that's important. Do, do fan channels like yours, I mean, you probably won't want to speak for others, but do do you tend to have a relationship with the in-house media and communications guys at the club? 
because if you're you know you're, you're quite often say something critical or have somebody on who expresses a critical opinion do you ever get any pushback from those guys or do you have any contact with them at all um we we've got a good relationship with the club in terms of in terms of our relationship with them obviously we've gone through them to get interviews so for example we recently did a um a documentary on Jordan Henderson and through through the club we were given um Trent Alexander-Arnold and and Jurgen Klopp for that and they were happy to do that um even though that obviously Klopp Klopp had been actually apparently quite popular um for that topic over, over that time you know they were still happy to sort it out with us um I, I think I think that the club will know that first of all overall having us and having the likes of us and the Anfield rap and um and and any other ones really you know Anfield agenda is another one I think there's Anfield edition uh, this is Anfield there's quite a few of us overall it's good press for the club because it, it helps, as I said at the beginning, it helps fans connect with the club and eventually it probably makes them want to go to games more and want to spend more money on official merch and stuff like that. So I, I overall, it's a good thing. But like anything in life, nothing's perfect and the club will know that. And they know, you know for example, a great example has been recently with the ticketing issues. I don't know if you've heard about that, but Liverpool have recently changed the way that they've been... Um, having tickets so if if you um, I remember you used to have a card that you just put into the turnstile and go through and now they're changing it to a, a pass on your phone it's like an nfc it's like how you pay contactless when you pay a card you have a wallet key uh, a ticket in your wallet and then you put that in the thing and all that and there's been quite a few issues with the friendlies that we've recently played before the start of the season a lot of issues with people getting into the ground with that option now We've criticised them for that because personally for me, it wasn't broken. So there was no reason to try and change that or fix it. Um, and rather than obviously be, um, I suppose, cold about it, the club have responded. They've communicated with fans best they can. We went to a press event on Monday where we were allowed to interview people associated with the club about what they were going to do to fix the issues they were having in the friendlies. Um, and overall, that that is the sign of a good relationship when they are open to being criticised. Then not only are they gonna um, be open to that, but they're gonna actually involve us and communicate to us how they're gonna fix that problem. It's like anything, you know, you get you get tech reviewers out there, don't you? Who who will review an Apple phone? And Apple will always send them review units and and their newest thing because they know that overall they're giving them exposure. They're giving them. Um, you know, um, good overall good press, but it doesn't stop those those tech reviewers from being critical or pointing out things that aren't good with the, any given tech that they're given. So I think it's just it's just the same principle as that. You know, the club the club I think overall know that us and the others are good for them, um, and you know obviously we know that they're definitely good for us. So we maintain that relationship best we can. Ben, you diplomatically skirted around the issue, and I might drop you in it, or feel free to be diplomatic again, but. Uh, I, I'm happy to say that as an Arsenal fan, I cannot stand AFTV for some of the things you pointed out about being reactionary. Um, they came to more public prominence, basically calling for Wenger's head. To my mind, it's entirely negative and only popular when it's negative. Um, it's not to put you onto the spot, but if you've got opinions on it, you've taken a different approach with what you're doing yeah as i say we're just, we're, we're just honest i think we're, we're you know and i i think it's just I, I, it's it's hard it, it is hard because that's what works for them you know what i mean mm. like at the end of the day like 
success is success. You know, it's just, but it's just not, it, it feels, that feels like to me, that feels stressful. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and I know that Arsenal aren't playing well and they haven't been for a few years. Um, and, to, and to be fair, you know, we, we, I'm good friends with a good Arsenal fan. I used to be my old boss in my first writing job when I was about 15, 16. And I still speak to him and we get him on our podcast and he's an Arsenal fan. And even he, as a more level-headed Arsenal fan and doesn't like AFTV either, he comes on and he'll be open and say, look, there's not much for me, not much positive for me to say about the club at the moment. It's badly run. It's not got a good squad. We've not got a great manager. The fans are toxic. You know, it, it's not... It, it, But, you know, we're just there. We're in a lucky position. I don't know what we'd look like if we were in the state that Arsenal are in as a club. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I do feel like sometimes, you know, the, it, it just feels over the top sometimes, some of the reactions, some of the some of the some of the rants on there and obviously they, they've hit on a formula um that they know works and gets them views and i think they like to exploit that but that that's just my that's just my opinion it's not the opinion of red men it's just just the opinion of me i guess it's almost a result of where you both entered the space because if you think of where AFTV or arsenal football club were when AFTV began arsenal were in a much better place and so it's a, it's a kind of decline from where they've been. And so everything is viewed through the lens of success. Whereas for you guys, there weren't that many trophies in the cabinet when you guys started up. And so everything is viewed through a slightly different lens, I guess, is how I characterise it. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, potentially. I mean, obviously, the golden days of Arsenal were really the early noughties. Um, and obviously, no, none of them were around at that point. Um, but um, even even the days where you know we, we had a lot of we had a lot of near misses. I mean, we Redmen as a thing. I wasn't there, but Redmen as a thing was going in thirteen fourteen, for example, where Liverpool came really close to the title and missed out um, with the with the Palace game and the Chelsea game. Um, so, but it wasn't like it wasn't an anger. I don't I don't know. Maybe it's just because we didn't expect to be there that season. Maybe you're right, but there was never an anger about that. There was never you know, calling for the manager's head or there was never, you know, an attack of Steven Gerrard at the time. You know, there was never, there was never anything like that. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, possibly when it, because it's, yeah, you're right. It's kind of been flipped the way around. But Arsenal went, did, oh, how, I think Arsenal went eight years without winning a trophy, didn't they, from 2006 to 2014. I think they, they went a long time. So, but I guess it's in know, the living the memory of, lots of football viewers, you know, in a way yeah. that it might not be for, for, you know, Liverpool fans on social media. It's kind of more recent for them. Quite, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, my honest opinion is that, and again, it's my opinion. It's just obviously when the Wenger era was coming to an end, and they were getting all those views with the anger, then why again? Like if that's what works for you, then that's what you're going to continue doing. And they, and to be fair, they've had they've like I think I think Emery was okay, um, but you know in the end he was a little bit out of his depth. I think I think Arteta will come good. Um, but I'll obviously at, at the moment a lot of Arsenal fans don't, so their abuse gets directed to Arteta. But I think the frustration with Arsenal fans is with the board and the way the clubs run. I think that is the over overriding thing. And obviously, the Super League didn't help um, back in April and their involvement with that. But Stan Kroenke, you know, he runs the um, Los Angeles Rams in the NFL, um, and they're not particularly. I don't think they're particularly happy with him either. Nobody seems to like him at all. He's just a businessman. 
Um, so, uh, you know, I think that is where most of the frustration really lies. But when you can see that that is that, you know, the reflection on the pitch is that they're not doing well on the pitch either. Um, you know, obviously the frustration ends up being directed at the pitch that actually should be being directed most of the time to the board above. Yeah, I think, Ben, you use the word honesty. And I think there's an inauthenticity to some of the people who appear on AFTV. It's never that extreme. The highs are never that high and the lows are never that low. And I think that's why a lot of genuine Arsenal fans just don't identify with some of the people who lose their heads on that thing. But anyway, let's move off Arsenal. <laughs> but you, you, Liverpool in particular has a lot of fan-run uh, entities like yourselves, uh, podcasts and that kind of thing. What is your relationship like with, with the other channels making content? Very respectful. Um, obviously, you know, us, us and the Anfield Rapper really are probably the main two. Um, and then in terms of podcasts, you've got the Blood Red podcast, which is the Liverpool Echo. Um, you've got, um, I, th- I think this is Anfield, well, they will do a podcast. I'm pretty sure they do a podcast. Um, but then you've got lots of smaller ones as well, obviously. So, I mean, to be fair, Anfield's agenda is getting bigger and bigger with Craig, Craig Hulden, and they're doing very well for themselves. But, um, you know, recently the, um, the Copite is getting bigger. That's a, that's a slightly smaller podcast. And the Red Sea podcast, and there are a lot of Liverpool-based, um, sorry, a lot of London-based Liverpool fans running that one. So I jumped onto that podcast recently and they're like, obviously they're, 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 they're always dead pleased to have us on. And it's strange in a way, because like people are asking for me to jump onto things, which I'm just always happy to do so. Um, but when obviously they, they are looking at us and they're, you know, not necessarily trying to replicate our success, but they, they're trying to learn from us. And that's really cool. And we're always happy to help them out. We always, we always want to do that. Um, so yeah, obviously like, us and the rap are very, very different. I think obviously they're a lot more audio based than we are. Obviously, like we more, especially more recently, we prefer obviously moving into like visual documentaries. But they do a lot of podcast documentaries, and they do like their their audio game the best in the industry. Um, so obviously we're different, and that's why I think there's space for both of us because it's different audiences. Some people just prefer having more podcasts. Um, and you know to listen to in the car or on the train or whatever some people prefer sitting down and watching the long-form documentaries that we make so that's why as I say there's a space for both of us and there's a real good respect there we've got a good relationship with them Um, I see a lot of things what they do and go oh bloody hell that's good that and I'm sure they think the same thing about us so I think it's amazing to watch the whole space not just your club but what we're trying to do other clubs the highest quality, fan-driven, genuine content. And I think, as I said at the top of the my intro, the advent of social media has empowered us to do that. And it's brilliant to see. You mentioned about the Jordan Henderson documentary, and that has led on to, you've just released a book. Can you tell us about that? We have. Um, yeah, it's a bit mad, really, because like when I was a kid, I used to write all the time. I really wanted to be an author. Um and obviously, you know, that's just that's just a really basic kid thing that they say, oh, I want to be an author. Um, and now, obviously, I get to do that and a lot of other things. So I do have one here. So this is a, it's a big thing. It's a it's a it's a chunky thing. It's an A4. Um, but you can buy it on our website now. And basically, it's just it's a mixture of lots of things. It's a mixture of um, obviously all the interviews that we did for the documentary. Um, we transcribed them and we use those stories to tell his story at Liverpool in writing over the 10 years um so there's obviously there's a chapter before 
he moved to Liverpool about his youth career and um, his life at Sunderland and he went on loan to Coventry. Um, he played under um, Roy Keane, he played under Chris Coleman, um, you know, quite a few different men, Steve Bruce. Um, and then obviously he moves to Liverpool and then there's a there's a chapter for each season is like Liverpool and it's all accommodated with like really good art yeah. and stuff like that. So we've got quite a lot of artists in the um, Liverpool space to get involved. Um, and they, you know, sent us lots of different um, different styles of art. So the idea is that every time you turn to a new chapter, there's a different style to look at. Um, so we've got the one from 1617 that's also very good. So this is like a comic book strip of his goal against Chelsea in 2017. So there's loads of different ones. Um, and we got to interview so many cool people for it. We've got to interview his dad, Brian Henderson. What a man. Um, uh, invited us into his home, lovely guy. We spent most of the day with him, um, and he was he was just so accommodating. Um, for me, I got to interview the England manager, which was amazing. Gareth Southgate, lovely man. Um, a lot of Liverpool journalists, the likes of James Pearce, Melissa Reddy, um, and then obviously other people featured include Trent Alexander Arnold, um, which was a, which was a big one. There's just loads of names: Jamie Carragher, Lucas Lever. Um, you know, just just loads of names. So the, the chance to work on something that big as a fan channel was tr- was truly groundbreaking, and is um, to produce a three part documentary on something that big, that vast. We're producing DVDs of it. The quality that it's been shot in is better than anything we've ever done before, um, and it just looks amazing. And to have a book alongside that with my name on the front of it is is quite a proud moment for me. Um, but, you know, hopefully it's just the start for us. We're already thinking about the next thing. We don't know what it is yet, but we're already starting to think about it. Yeah, it looks amazing and it can vouch for the artwork in it, which resonates with us and what we're trying to do as well. Just another one on the book. I just wanted to congratulate you on it, basically. It's such a monumental achievement to put something together of that size. How long has that been in the works and how long did it take? So the first mention of it was the last week in January. Um, and it was it was it was Paul's idea. Um, you know, he, he came to us one, I think, just just one evening, just off the cuff, sort of said, you know, the next kind of thing I want to focus on. It's been Jordan Henderson. It's going to be Jordan Henderson's tenth anniversary this year. I want to do something for it. And so we had a couple of brainstorms over the next few weeks, obviously about what what you want it to be. And I had a few conversations with Paul about because um, I've as I say, I've always enjoyed the writing, but the website, the writing on the website doesn't isn't quite part of our model really we do it but it's not like it's it's only a very small thing and I wanted to do more writing and Paul had told me that he was more interested in producing more books so maybe that was something that we could think about and then when the Jordan Henderson idea was sort of birthed it seemed natural to suggest this as a kind of a side thing as well um so so that's how the book came about um but then in the like it was a it was a mad few months because I produced another documentary about Liverpool's game at Atletico Madrid last year um, that was another 40 minute thing about just the effect that that had on coronavirus cases in Liverpool, which was insane. Like that game should never have gone ahead. So throughout February and then into March, we had both projects going on at the same time. And that's what I enjoy. Like I enjoy doing, I enjoy being busy like that. And the, 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 the COVID one was a lot more my, my thing that the Henderson thing has been a team effort from everybody. Um, but it was like I edited the COVID one and and did all the interviews and and you know did all the planning for that on my own pretty much. Sat, uh, I had a lot of help from Cy Fletcher, our production guy, um, 
with with actually filming but like the majority of it was me so that was a very intense six weeks or so putting that one together and then you get that one boxed and done and it's like right now to write a book so it's just been like since the start of 2021 it's been very very fast pace but obviously you know we spent the first four months of the year in lockdown so you had the time to do that you know like that I worked for Apple as well the store was closed um so I was working from home I was in the house and you know you you can just get on with things. Um, and that was what was one of the po positives to lockdown. Um, so it's been a very productive year. Um, and obviously we're all, we're all happy to have had a break since the Henderson stuff's come out. I enjoy, I enjoy the Euros a lot more than the others did really. Like I'm a bit more into England than the other guys. Um, so I took a couple of weeks off. I enjoyed the back end of the tournament. I went to one of the semifinals. I went to the Italy Spain game. Um, and then obviously, you know, watched England in a final, which was a big achievement for them. Um, and now we're all ready to go again because we know this season's going to be a lot busier with the fans back and being able to go to games again, and we're just we're just ready for that. So yeah, bring it on. <laughs> it's brilliant to see the level of work. It's great achievement to the documentary and the book. Uh, it's definitely inspiring for us and chimes with us. So Taylor, we can ditch the jobs and go poke my gold full time or Portsmouth if you're listening. We've got a book in in mind for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ben, before you go, your favourite Liverpool game and your favourite Liverpool player? Uh, ever or now? Ever. Player. Ever. I mean, Steven Gerrard's the choice. Um, obviously, having, having grown up with him, um, that was very sad when he left. I got to 16 and he'd never not been in the Liverpool team for me. So that was very strange when he left. Um, but I have to say, I think Virgil van Dijk's the second. Yeah. Like what what's been so interesting about Van Dyke is just how he has been a revelation for the centre back role. Like since he has come to Liverpool and had such an impact, everybody has appreciated how how important centre backs are again. And you know, I'm I'm convinced that without the impact that he had at Liverpool, for example, Man United wouldn't have paid as much as they did for Harry Maguire. Um, you know, they might not have paid as much as they've done now for, for Rafael Varane. Um, City paid a lot of money for Ruben Diaz. And I think it was all because Van Dijk, we paid the big money for him and he had such an impact on the team. So Van Dijk's definitely second. My favourite Liverpool game? Um, oof. I mean, again, I, I was too young to really enjoy Istanbul. So I feel like that's a cop-out. Um, I was at the Barcelona game and you know, yeah. that, that was a night. Um, so to, to watch that with my dad. I didn't yeah. really have any hope going into it um, because the night before, Vincent Company had scored that goal for Manchester City. So, like, you wake up on the Tuesday and not only is the title race pretty much done, but you you feel like you're pretty much out of the Champions League and then you go in and that night happens. Um, but also a very underrated one. And I, I, and I don't know whether many Liverpool fans would agree, but the best Champions League night I've ever had at Anfield was the night we played Manchester City in the quarterfinal. Um, and, and obviously the kind of the controversy around that was like the bus greeting outside. That ground that night, it was, it was louder than the Barcelona game. I, t I tell you right now, like that, that, that was, it was louder and it was more constant. Um, the song LA had really taken hold by that point. Um, and all four stands of the ground that night were, were booming. Um, and and I, so that's actually my favourite one that I've been to. But like, you know, the history that was made in that game against Barcelona was, was somewhere else. Yeah. 
Uh, the Anfield nights are special and now we can look forward to crowds back at Anfield for the season ahead. So, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you and watching what you're doing is has been amazing. As I said, keep up the great work. If, whether you're a Liverpool fan or not, it's really interesting to watch what supporters can do themselves off their own bat. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. And to you as well, Taylor. Cheers, James. Cheers, Ben. And that's it for the latest episode of the Pokemon Gold podcast. Drop us a rating or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and toggle back for previous shows. And don't forget, you can get in contact via social media at Pokemon Gold. Join us next time on the Pokemon Gold podcast. Welcome to Red Men TV. Because it's hard to tell you mind about it. Yes! It's for you out there. It's for you. It's incredible. And Salah has scored for Liverpool! It's a joy to do it for you, I can tell you. Joe Way in the mix zone after Liverpool beat Man City 2 1. The best word I can say when to describe this was boom. An unbelievable ending at Anfield! Bosh, love that!